The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Everybody, um, tonight I'd like to offer uh, what is traditionally called the Way Seekers Talk. This is my story of how I came to the Dharma and what I've learned in my investigation of suffering and freedom, freedom from suffering and freedom in suffering. I'll start with an ending, which in that is also a beginning. It was at a point in my life where the suffering felt like it could not get any worse. Just the thought of having to reach down and to tie my shoe brought me into total despair. It's like, what? I have to do this again? I have to tie my shoe again? And then I have to tie the other one again. And how many times in my life have I tied my shoe? And how many times will I have to do it again? In my life, I had tried, as we all do, I think it's, I think it's, it's part of being a human being, all the many, 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 many ways that we escape I think in our nation um, and in the West, um, really escape is, is, uh, is almost a religion. We have it honed to a fine art, the ability, the ability to escape. Um, there's so much offered in the form of escape through media, through advertising. Um, we were able to, to get anything we could possibly want or need. Um, we're offered escape through entertainment. We're offered escape. We're, 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 we're fed fear. We can escape into fear. We can, um, we can escape into anything over and over and over again. And, and we can use that escape as a way of directing the attention away from ourselves. I can, I can, I can, look at something outside of myself as, the, as what will make me happy, what will make me complete, what will make me a, a good mother, a good teacher, a good human being. Or I can look outside of myself as to the reason why I am so miserable. It must be because the world is a terrible place. It must be because of the state of the country. It must be because of the state of the economy. It has nothing to do with me. And we can look outside of ourselves endlessly for the reason why I'm not happy. I'm not happy because it's something outside of myself. Or I will only be happy because I don't have enough. It's like it's this, this condition of enoughness. If I only had enough, if I only had enough money, I'd be generous. If I only had a good job, I'd have enough money. If I only had enough of this or that, I'd be less afraid. I could sleep at night. I'd, I'd, be, a good, I'd be a good mother. I'd be a good person. I'd do the right thing. You know, I, I'd... I'd be a good person if I only had enough, this enoughness. And once again, this enoughness is something that I look, I look for outside of me. You know, it never occurred to me to look inside myself for the reasons for my discontent, for the sense of not having enough. And so I built I built this box. I went to extreme measures in order to escape. My form of escape came um, in alcohol and drug addiction. And I built a box 
with this, I, I was able to feel I had control. And all I really had to control was whether or not I had enough drugs and alcohol. So I didn't have to worry about, about anything else outside of me. I didn't, I didn't even have to think about it because I felt as long as I had enough drugs and alcohol, everything would be okay. And so I built this box where my whole world centered around it. I didn't even see that I was suffering. I didn't even know I was miserable. I prevented any feelings from coming up and out. I thought I had control. I thought I was really able to control my life. I lived in the illusion of complete control. If I didn't have enough, I was miserable. And then I could control that by trying to get more. And I did this over and over endlessly. And my life fell apart. My life fell apart. My career was in shambles. I was just, I was, I was just a broken image of a mother. My relationships fell away. I caused harm. I caused harm to others. I caused harm to myself. I didn't even know what happiness was. I was numb. I was numb. And I lived in darkness. And I was afraid of the light. The only time I felt what I thought was a semblance of peace was many, many hours into the, into the night. And then, when the sun came up, when it was time to wake up, and I heard the birds singing, I just wanted to die. I just wanted to cry. And there it was. Even just the thought of having to tie my shoe again put me into complete despair. So I had a disease, a disease. I had a disease of alcoholism. And I'm so fortunate that I live in a time where there is um, there's a program, there's a solution for this disease, and that's Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, never occurred to me never occurred to me that I could do something like that. And it was offered to me. It was offered to me. Someone said, why don't you go to a meeting? And it was like, oh, oh, I could do that. And when I entered into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, a meeting, It was the first time that I was able to be honest. It was offered to me the ability to be able to be honest. So I was able to, at that time, to practice a spiritual principle. Because traditionally, when someone like me walks into a meeting for the first time, we can raise our hand. We can say, my name is Kathy. I'm an alcoholic. And in that... I was admitting my powerlessness over my disease and I was practicing honesty. And what, what, I, what I saw even then in doing that was a little kernel, a little taste of freedom. Within the suffering, within the extreme suffering that I just, just slightly knew was there, enough to get me into the room. By being honest, I was also tasting freedom. And you know what else I was doing when I did that? I was doing something different. I was, I was breaking habit patterns, breaking the cycle of suffering by doing something different. Now, in Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a framework. It's a model. It's a model for recovery. Um, 
there's the 12 steps. And um, as I've come into practice, I've, I've looked at those 12 steps in terms of the Four Noble Truths. I've looked, I've, I've looked at them, I've looked at, at the whole program in the terms of the Dharma. Um, and I really like that. I really love how the two, the two for me, and I think for many others, is very much intertwined, the Dharma and, um, and the 12 Steps, the program of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, because when I, when I sit down, when I raise my hand and I admit my powerless, powerlessness, I am suffering. Suffering is known. I know I am suffering. I am powerless over alcohol. And what's the reason? What's the reason? What, what is the reason I am suffering? I am suffering because I cannot control my drinking. The reason is known. I am attached to something that is impermanent. The second noble truth. The second noble truth is known. In Alcoholics Anonymous, there, there, it's called this, a solution. There is a solution to this disease. In this disease, an Alcoholics Anonymous is a spiritual disease. It's laid out as a spiritual disease. And there is a solution. And this is the third noble truth. Peace is possible. There is a solution. And then the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's the steps. There is a solution the steps and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I love that. I love, I love how they go together. And for me, um, Alcoholics Anonymous has been the, the, the roots, the foundation of my spiritual growth. I, you know, I bow deeply. I bow deeply to the program. I bow deeply to the fellowship. There's there's a strong fellowship, a strong sangha within within AA, a very accepting, very uncritical, mobilized force that comes together to to help each other. We help each other on our quest, on our quest for sobriety and our quest for spiritual growth. It's really it's a beautiful thing. And when we work the steps, we can begin to clear out. We can begin to clear out what are called what are called character defects. But it's more a matter. It's 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 not so much a matter of clearing out. It's a matter of really seeing what's seeing what's there by by working the steps. We see, I see my patterns. Space comes around them. I'm working a program that, uh, that allows for uh, living an ethical life. I'm practicing generosity. I'm, I'm being of service. I'm extending my hand to another alcoholic. So it's laying this wholesome foundation in my life by my actions, by my words, and by my thoughts. And so we go through the steps. I go through the steps. And, and we come to a step. It's called the 11th step. And in that step, it's suggested um, that we go towards a spiritual path. Sought through prayer and meditation. So it's, it's suggested that I pray and I meditate. Well, I live in Marin County. I live close to Spirit Rock. My, um, my best friend worked out at Spirit Rock. She still does. And that's how I came, first came to the Dharma, was, was to Spirit Rock. And I... And, you know, I threw myself into the program and to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I really did the same when, um, 
when I began to uh, practice, when I went out to Spirit Rock. Um, initially, I would go to Monday nights. There's a, um, some of you may, may have gone there. There's um, a sitting group on Monday nights and a class. Jack, For- Jack Cornfield often teaches there. Big, big, big group. Very different from here. This is very intimate here. Um, and it's a lovely group. And, um, and I began to volunteer for the family program. And my, uh, my, my career has always been with children. I worked with children. But when I was in the darkness, I couldn't do it. There was no way I could be around kids. I couldn't be around anybody. So I gave myself some space for that, from that for a while. But then I began to be able to... Um, to substitute teach again, and I began to um, volunteer for the family program at Spirit Rock. Um, and it's a wonderful family program out there. Uh, there's several family days, and um, there's a family retreat. And the Dharma is offered to children and to families with songs and with stories, and, um, and there's often a monastic presence. And it's a, it's a, really, it's a really beautiful program. And, and I loved it. And I got a little taste of meditation. I began to meditate. I began to sit still. And I began to watch my mind and my heart. And I began to watch my body. And I liked it. I didn't, I didn't really know what it was telling me yet. I didn't really know what I was finding out. I didn't even know if I was finding out anything. I actually, you know, I don't even know now. I don't need to know. You know, it's, 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 it's okay to just be able to sit and observe and feel the feelings and see the thoughts and to know them and to begin to know them. And so I wanted to sit a retreat. Now, you know, there's all sorts of t- retreats out at Spirit Rock. And, you know, being, being, um, being drawn to intensity, you know, I thought about uh, I want to immediately plunge into a long retreat. I want to go for it and just, like, go into deep samadhi and, and, and escape. You know, once again, escape for, like, two months. Um, but I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Uh, I was, it was suggested to me by Dharma friends, very, very valuable on the path, Dharma friends, um, to begin with a woman's retreat. I'd begin with a short retreat. Uh, and, I, and I'm really glad I took, I took that suggestion. Um, and I thought I had, you know, I'd begun to meditate before them, but boy, I don't know if any of you have ever sat a retreat, but that's when you sit a retreat. Uh, you know, that's when, um, that's when you really see what meditation is. That's, that's when it's the sitting, um, God, that's when it's the really the sitting with the mind and the body, <laughs> you know, for, for hours at a time. And, and uh, if, if you sat retreats, you know the schedule can begin very early and go very late and, um, and the sore, the sore body, and um, the bells, and and what I don't, I only get six hours sleep, and and the Dharma talk can feel like entertainment, and all these all these words, all these concepts that I've never heard of before, you know. I'm really pretty fortunate. I'm actually very fortunate because for me, sitting. Sitting comes fairly easily. My body can sit without a lot of pain. But um, it's, it, it took me a long time to hear what was being said. But I did get glimmers of it. I did get glimmers of it. And I loved, I loved what I heard. Um, I loved the precepts. It went right in line with what I had learned through the steps and what I'd learned through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, 
the precepts are part of are part of the sila, the ethical conduct, and um, and I understood that because I'd had that I'd had that ground grounding, I'd had that foundation. AA, I understood what 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 I've you know what I've since heard the teachings on many times that um, when I live an ethical life, when I'm honest, when I try to be honest, when I try not to cause harm. When I don't take that which is not given to me. When I, for me, cannot indulge in any intoxicants. I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. For me, when I don't do any of those things, um, then my mind and my heart are freer. And I'm living what's called a blameless life. And... When I'm practicing sila and I'm living a blameless life, that is the cause and conditions for samadhi, for concentration, which can open to wisdom and compassion. So I began to hear this, and I and I and so sila. I love sila. It's it's just it's it's so important um, for me on this path, and it's 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 I always come back to it, and I always come back to the precepts. Um, it's it's just such an integral part of of practice for me. And I loved um, I love taking refuge. You know, I love to just like take refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. And um, you know, when I first started doing that, it was just beautiful to be able to chant. And um, and hear the various ways the teachers would interpret it, um, and and you know, as time has gone on, my understanding of what that means to take refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha has deepened. My understanding has deepened, and my understanding will continue to deepen as long as I continue doing this. Um, Initially, initially, it was just, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful ritual, you know, and I felt, I felt a part of, I felt a part of, of everybody else. I felt a part of, of the whole. Um, and as I continue to practice, I have an understanding that that refuge is inside of me, you know, the, the refuge is inside of me, and and that's no different than uh, than you. The refuge that's inside of me is also the refuge in you. It's the refuge in the Buddha. It's the refuge in the Dharma. It's the refuge in the Sangha. It's like um, it's like when I was always looking outside of myself as a way to escape, to blame, or to grasp onto. Um, because I could not look inside. I could not cultivate what was inside of me. Um, I learned to do that. I learned to do that. I learned to have a deeper understanding. I have had a deeper understanding. And I look forward to having a continuing deepening into what, what taking what refuge means. And, of course, mindfulness you know, um, that's the foundation here, mindfulness. So mindfulness initially for me, like I, I, uh, mm, you know, I'll tell you, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still working on that one. Uh, And it's becoming a a lot more graceful in retreats. I can practice, I can practice uh, mindfulness in many different ways. And, And what's the really coolest thing is the ability, um, the kind of natural flow of the mindfulness that, that comes out of meditation into, and out of retreat into daily life. To be able to, uh, to be mindful in daily life is really freedom because as I begin to, 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 to 
as I begin to build, as I begin to, to it's more, it's, it's actually, it's not building, it's, it's, it's taking away. So it's right there, you know, is that stillness that's inside of me becomes more apparent. Um, through this process of removing, of letting go. And maybe there's a little bit of removing, but it's, it's, not, it's not really anything I'm doing. It's just this process of letting go. It, for me, it began with, with those 12 steps of that letting go. And I recognized it there. I recognized it in, in when I first was working the steps. As I let go and the stillness, and I see the stillness, you know, becomes apparent. In AA, we use the word higher power. You know, as I let go, and here's the stillness, the freedom. It's right here. It's right here. And, and with mindfulness, I can begin to see this. Mindfulness helps me let go and not build and not build and not build and not fill and not solidify inside. So I am able to more fully come, come to what is already here, to this stillness. But you know, what I've learned as well, that when I, when I try to do things a certain way, when I hear about a practice or a teaching or an instruction um, or mindfulness should look like this or concentration should look like this or... Um, Meta should look like this. Meta. That it should, it should look this way. Do it this way. So when I think that things have to look a certain way in my practice, I suffer. I suffer. I attach to the practice. I attach to the technique. And what I'm, you know, what I'm really beginning to learn, and it's just, it's, it's so great, is I'm, I'm, Learning that it doesn't have to look any certain way. We all have our own path. We all have we all have our own karma. And so our path, our practice is going to be it's going to have our own flavor. It's it's going to be unique to us. Certainly there are guidelines. There, I mean, there's, there's these amazing teachings that we have, and there's um, these amazing teachers that we have. And, and there's guidelines, there's suggestions, there's teachings. They're helpful. You know, they keep, they, they steer us. They can steer us onto the path over and over and over again. When I veer off the path, you know, I've got teachers and I've got, I've got, I've got the Dharma, the Dharma books, and I've got the information, and I've got the instructions on retreat um, to to kind of steer me back on. But but the more I practice, the more the inner trust is there. The more I begin to trust and have confidence in my practice, it does not have to look any certain way. And I have friends who help me with that. We have spiritual friends. I mean, here we are. You know, we're, we're here, even though we each have our own path, we each have our own karma, we do have a common purpose. We're here, to, we're here to learn. We're here to learn about the Dharma. I think that's why we're here. I think that's, I think that's probably why you're here. I know that's why I'm here. Um, so we have our spiritual friends. We have our, we have our teachers. Uh, Gil Fronsdell is my teacher. Um, I would imagine that... that Many of you know who Gil is. Um, and he's given me many gifts, but uh, really, really, the greatest, the greatest gift he's given me, um, such a blessing, is when he's told me, um, do your practice, Kathy. You do your practice. I have, and when he says to me, you know, I have complete confidence in your practice. I trust your practice. It's such a gift to me to hear to hear that from him, um, and and just to, to to give me that instruction. Do your practice. It's it's a great gift from my teacher. 
And I've learned a little bit about metta. Um, I used to fall asleep in metta sittings. I had so much aversion towards metta. And I thought it should look a certain way. On retreats, I would literally fall asleep. Metta is loving kindness. Um, is the, is, metta is a Pali word in the, in the English trans- translation is loving kindness. Um, it's, um, it's a practice that's taught. Um, I won't even go into it. Some of you may know it. Many of you may know it. Um, um, and it's a, um, it's a state of mind that um, allows for re- friendliness towards myself and to others to arise. Um, and I, I just sat at the Ajahn Sumedho retreat, and I loved how he, he described metta as, um, as uncritical. It's an uncritical friendliness. So it's not, it's, it's, it's in the word loving kindness, it's not, um, you know, it's not the kind of love that's an attached love. It's, it's a kind love. It's an uncritical friendliness. I love, I love that way of putting it. And, and so, you know, when, when the phrases came along and the practice came along, I was like, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And, um, and it's not that way for everybody. For some people, they just, you know, overflow with matter right away. You know, what a lovely thing. Uh, not the case for me. And what, what I've um, found is that metta, metta when, when the stuff starts to clear away, when the habit patterns start to clear away, or at least I see them, you know, it's like this weeding process, the pulling the leaves, pulling the leaves, and there's a little more clarity. Well, you know, there it is. It's like, it, 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 for me, it's, 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 it's arisen, it's come um, in a very natural way, this this uncritical friendliness towards myself and to others. That doesn't mean there's not a lot of criticism towards myself and others too, but it's being balanced out with an uncritical friendliness. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice. It's really natural. Ajahn Sumedho used um, another, um, uh, something else he said. He talked about rearranging the furniture. He said, um, what we do um, in our life, you know, what what ordinarily we do is is, um, we we just, we continuously rearrange the furniture and then we die. It's like, it's like, you know, this, 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 this life of, of just rather than clearing out, um, rather than maybe opening up the boxes, and, and you may have heard this term, unpacking, this process of meditation, of mindfulness, is, is about unpacking. So, so but, but ordinarily what we do is, is that we not, we not only rearrange the furniture, we actually get more furniture and, and, and shut the windows and shut the doors and, and cover the boxes and... Um, we rearrange the furniture and then we die. And meditation does begin to unclutter the mind and the heart. We can give away the furniture. Just let it go. Just give it give it all away. And then and then in the in the giving away there's freedom. There is freedom. Even within the suffering, there's freedom. Because suffering is, you know, I'm a human being. Here it is. Here is suffering. I am a human being and there is suffering. Um, but there's also freedom. There's also freedom. And there's just the moments of ordinary freedom. The ordinary freedom where I'm not grasping onto anything. I'm just being. It's a beautiful thing. And I really, I really, I love the ordinary freedom. And I, I, I savor it. I taste it. It doesn't have to be these deep, deep, deep um, 
sublime states while sitting in meditation. It can just be right here and now. We can be free. I can be free. And, and taste those. Taste those moments. Those are precious moments. Those are important reference points. They're sustaining. A gift of meditation, a gift of practice has been um, in my relationships with the world. I have a beautiful relationship with my daughter. I teach preschool. I love it. I love my children. They're my teachers. My daughter is my teacher. I have an opportunity to, to offer them the Dharma in a way that they can hear it. I don't talk about the Dharma to them. I can do that at Spirit Rock, but I can offer it in the way they can hear it, which is, which is, is really valuable. And they give it right back to me. I'm, I'm so fortunate to be able to do this. I love it. I love it. So I'm more present in my relationships with the world. I'm more present in my relationships with you, with all of you. That's what the Dharma has given me. I read something today from Pema Chodron. It's from a, a book called The Places That Scare You. Interrupting our destructive habits and awakening our heart is the work of a lifetime. And it is. It's the work of a lifetime. And you know, I get to do this now. I get to do this. Interrupting my destructive habits. Doing something different. Making a change. Creating space around those habits. Seeing freedom. Beginning to awaken my heart. It's the work of a lifetime. I get to do this. I'm so fortunate. You know, it's not like I, I just love to tie my shoes these days. But, you know, I don't fall into despair. And when the sun comes up and I hear the birds sing, you know, I may have to get up and go to work, but I can look at it positively. I don't, I don't want to die. I want that day. I'm, o- I'm okay about stepping into that day. It's, it's, it's the path of wakefulness, the path of waking up. I want to um, read uh, an instruction from a Zen master. I'll close with this. The breeze at dawn has much to tell. Don't fall back to sleep. Thank you. And um, if you have any questions, comments, Dharma tips. I'd love to hear them. We'd love to hear them. Hi. I want to thank you for interweaving the two programs. It mm-hmm. was especially meaningful to me for very personal reasons. Same thing. Um, And, and I'm really touched by how you, you were able to take this sort of linear program and kind of weave it into the Dharma and, and the precepts and stuff. It was really lovely. Um, and I liked your roomy poem at the end, too. Uh, I'd actually like to have you share something that you share with the preschoolers that isn't talking about the Dharma, but that is making the Dharma available. Can you think of some way to share that? Um, yes. Yes, I can. Uh, the, 
There's a, there's, there's a few things I do, and I think, you know, I think that as, I think that teachers, a teacher with the, I mean, I, I have so much respect for teachers in general. Um, so I think part of teaching really is um, we, are, we are offering the Dharma all the time. Um, um, but because I have this practice, you know, I have, I have a, more of an intention behind it, and um, I, uh, or a different intention. I work with kids um, with the elements. We talk about, uh, I may guide them through a meditation. I don't tell them that that's what we're doing, but um, I'll, um, I'll ask them to feel their body and to, um, and, and I sing songs as well. So, so we sing songs I learned at Spirit Rock about, about the elements. And then I'll, um, We'll, we'll talk about um, our bones and what our bones are made out of and, and the bones are the earth and, and I'll ask them to feel their bones um, and they may do it like this and then I'll say, you know, sit still and feel your bones and, and what's your blood made out of and breathe, what's the air um, and where's the fire and, um, and they begin to do it. You know, they, the fire, they feel the fire is here. And then, um, and then we tie it into emotions, um, uh, that your fire's coming up. Or, or you, you know how teachers say crisscross applesauce. Well, I say um, earth touching earth. And they all go, and they, they go into the earth. Um, and, and, and we talk about, you know, their earth touching. So, so be careful when your earth is touching their earth. Or be careful when you're touching the earth. So we, so we, we work with the elements. Um, I teach them a forgiveness practice that, of course, once again, I don't call it a forgiveness practice, but um, I, um, I have them really look at each other and, 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 I, and I stay with them and we do some counting. I do some counting and, and I just, they begin to melt as they really see each other and forgiveness really comes. So that's a couple of the ways. Thank you. You're welcome. It's so fun to work with kids because um, you know the layers. There's not as many layers, hopefully. So um, they can they can just they can just melt so much more easily. It's really lovely. I get a lot out of it. I know very little about Buddhism. My, my daughter brought me here. But um, could you um, explain, maybe I'm dense, but could you explain a little bit the metaphor of furniture? Yeah, I can try. <laughs> I can try to explain it. Um, in Anjan Sumedho is... Um, um, in the Thai forest tradition, he's um, he's uh, who's the one who gave this teaching. He um, he is uh, the senior abbot who was the first um, ordained um, Westerner in this tradition in Thailand many years ago, and he brought it over. He's an American. He brought it over to England, and he's like the the beloved senior abbot in this tradition. Um, and It can be it can be outside of ourselves or inside our inside our minds inside our minds and our hearts. You know the outside of ourselves of of, of um, changing what our life looks like um, to 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 distract ourselves from let's say what's inside. Changing what our life's looking like, changing conditions, changing um, locations. Uh, it's that 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 enoughness, wanting. If I only had enough of this, um, constantly rearranging um, relationships, etc. Um, it can look like that on the outside, and then on the inside, uh, I'm sure you know. I'm sure that um, you have, or I don't know. Maybe you don't, but uh, but. Um, 
as we begin to, as we begin to watch our mind, um, we see how um, the thoughts of um, the planning, the organizing in the mind, the referring back to, the fantasies, the emotions, the feelings, how they just spin, spin around in our mind all the time. Um, and, and they're very compelling. You know, I mean, I can believe my thoughts. I can believe my thoughts. And I can replace one thought with another. You know, this one, hmm, this, this, one, isn't, this one isn't really working, so I'll replace it with this one. Um, I'll replace this wanting with this wanting. Or maybe, maybe I'll replace this wanting something with not wanting this or, or the thoughts of not liking someone, you know, the emotions of anger or... or, or um, I mean, it's so compelling, the, the whole world we build inside of our minds. So the renunciation on the outside, the letting go on the outside of things is a huge practice. But man, the letting go, the renunciation of what's going on in here is like, you know, I, does that help at all? Um, so, so with mindfulness, sitting in meditation and using mindfulness, we begin to see the thoughts coming, the wanting, the desires, the um, not wanting. We begin to see that, and we don't run after them and build a whole story around it. Um, it's like we, we keep our seat. We, we take our seat and, and, just, and begin to see them come come and go and you know and that begins with 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 just sitting still and 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 making that commitment to watching the breath and of course when we watch the breath uh before you know it you know we're often thought over and over and over and over again because that's the nature of the mind that's what we do we think our mind thinks you know, it's been my mind's been thinking for a lot of years, and and it does not want to let go of those thoughts. Um, so when I see that I'm thinking, I mean, there's many ways you can do it. You know, you can actually say, "Oh, thinking, hmm, thinking," and that's a moment of mindfulness, thinking. Or you can just go back to the breath. You know, and I do that over and over and over again. It's a lot of work. You know, there's, it's, it's a lot of work, this, this practice. Meditation's a lot of work. Um, I find it to be worthwhile work. And it's hard work. It's it's a it's a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. Is it compatible with being a writer or a scientist? Is it compatible, you know, being that way? I mean, this is it just a temporary way of relaxing. I mean, let's say you're a writer or you're a scientist. You have to be thinking. I mean, so well, this isn't about not thinking. Yeah. This isn't about not thinking. Um, so, yes, I mean, it's compatible with anything and everything. It's compatible with being a human being. Um, it's, not, it's not about not thinking. It's about beginning to see the, pl- the places where we get caught by our thoughts and where the thoughts lead to reactions. So where I get caught 
you know, I have a thought, um, and before I know it, I'm reacting. Maybe I'm initially reacting with more thoughts, but before you know it, I'm reacting with my body, with my words. Um, so we can learn to, to see our thoughts, have more space around our thoughts, to see our thoughts and create a little space between the thinking and the reaction. Um, and it allows for the possibility of reacting or responding with, with mindfulness and some healthy, healthy intentions. And to see, we begin to see how we do these certain things over and over and over again. And then it causes us harm. It causes us suffering. It has to do with emotion a lot. Mostly, it mostly to do with oh, I'm sorry. It has to do with emotion, negative emotion. You mean it. Um, I'm sorry. I don't want to bring this to a low level. This court, you know, people here probably experience. I could just stop this and anyone else want to use the microphone. Go, go ahead. No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to um, take up all that. Okay. Does anyone else have any more questions? You spoke about the 12-step program and uh, Buddhism. And um, I know that in the 12-step program they speak about, um, or it's in the steps that uh, there's a God. And a lot of people in different ways have obstacles to uh, the perceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that uh, the point of the precincts is uh, uh, intoxicants. Mm-hmm. Um not to take any intoxicants. Well, I take intoxicants every day from coffee to sugar to Coca-Cola to chocolate to, um, and sometimes it's too much. Mm-hmm. It just whacks me out, you know. And um, so I've been trying to get those intoxicants out um, by um, not doing them as much. But that's the big one, especially uh, the sweets. Uh, but... Um, the God thing, um, I've never had a problem because I've always thought, you know, uh, that any spiritual path is, is just uh, love and kindness is is the higher vibration of energy. You know, it's just a perception of what the higher energy is. It's a name, nothing more, you know. I've heard it said in these rooms, uh, be very comfortable that Buddha is sitting behind you, you know, or mm-hmm. things like that. So... I never had a problem with um, with it in any perception as far as energy. Because ultimately, all the paths lead to the same mountaintop. It's just different paths to the same divine thing, which is ultimately love and kindness um, or compassion, a higher vibration of compassion, understanding, acceptance, serenity. You know, the levels that we reach from investigating the different joys of actually being on the path mm-hmm. of any spiritual thing. So it was really nice for you to kind of relate it in a way that's universal. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm. It's nine o'clock. I yeah. Yes, you do. Well, I, it's kind of ridiculous for me to say because I only just started meditating. But um, in response to her question, uh, just about like what meditation is and if it's disconnecting from thought. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I feel like, like when I meditate, it really brings me back to the moment. Whereas when I don't and I let thought, like I'm in the past, you know, or I'm in the future and I'm making these 
assumptions that I don't realize I'm making mm -hmm. and it kind of just puts things in perspective and mm -hmm. it just makes me like okay I'm breathing I'm in the moment and you know the world's not ending like everyone doesn't hate me like I'm just here and it just lets me put perspective on my thoughts and slow down my mind yeah that's great thank you that's great um, <clears throat> I'm reminded as I listen to you speak of the Bible verse that says, um, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a strong mind. And I really like those concepts. And mm. this is basically, I think, what you're talking about yeah. from what I understand. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I noticed you've mentioned uh, things like uh, the things we cling to, mm -hmm. uh, the aversions that we have, uh, uh, the wanting, uh, the, uh, all of those, would you say, are rooted in um, a... Uh, the sleepwalking trance of our egos in the sense that uh, uh, our egos or perhaps uh, or the ego seeks its own agenda and that uh, it, that agenda is not necessarily in the interest of the being within you and that that being is separate from What I would say to that is, um, I would say, investigate that for yourself. That's what I would say to that. Um, what, what the wanting is rooted in, the roots of the wanting or the not wanting, um, you know, there's this endless cycle that, that is happening um, and and I think it's important to really look deeply into that into the wanting and the not wanting. And I think that, you know, I, 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 I'm reluctant to go into any sort of uh, teaching around that. Um, for one thing, I'm not an expert. And also, uh, it would take a little while. Um, but, um, but I really think that's what this practice is about, is to, for, for, for you or for me, to look deeply into our own wanting. Um, and see those roots, see those roots, see those roots of suffering, see those roots of ego, um, see those roots of fear, see the arising of self over and over and over again. Would you say uh, uh, awakening, uh, the, the concept, the thought of awakening, uh, the experience of awakening is... is oh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought I had it close enough. Uh, would you say that the, the the concept of awakening or the thought of awakening, the uh, the experience of it, is is uh, could be rooted in the breaking free of of, uh, of um, habitual reactions? Uh, within that are built within our egos. Um, I would I would say that um, when I have a moment of freedom, right here and now, uh -huh. that um, that I have broken free of habitual reaction. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, Maureen, or I mean. I'm, Yeah. 
And it's lovely. The questions are lovely. I appreciate them. Um, I, I mean, I'm learning from you, but it's also past nine o'clock here. And, um, um, so I'm, I'm happy to continue talking. And also, I know people have to go. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.